We are now coming to Prime Minister's questions, where I am going to be calling. Prime Minister, come yeah, on, let's be having you. Gary Sambrook's waiting. Gary Sambrook. One, sir. Uh, Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in, in addition to my duties in this House. I shall have further such meetings later today. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Over the last week, thousands of people across Frankly Great Park and South Northfield have done what's been asked of them to go and get a test because of a small number of South African variant cases in the constituency. Would the Prime Minister join me in thanking Dr Justin Varney and Councillor Simon Morrell and Birmingham City Council for everything they've done to be able to scale up mass testing across Frankly Great Park and encourage anyone who hasn't had a test so far to get one at one of the designated sites? Uh, yes, indeed, Mr. Speaker. I, I thank my honourable friend for, uh, for raising it. I, indeed, I join him in thanking the NHS staff who are scaling up uh, testings, the surge testing in the way that he describes. And I encourage everybody in the area, and indeed uh, throughout the country, to get, a uh, to get a vaccine when you're asked to do so. Let's come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Mr. Speaker, can I begin by thanking everybody involved in the vaccine rollout? Uh, we've now vaccinated, I think, 12.6 million people. We're on course to vaccinate the first four priority groups by the end of this week. That's a truly amazing achievement. Can the Prime Minister confirm today that the Government will extend business rate relief beyond March 31st? Uh, I'm afraid, Mr Speaker, I'm, I'm glad to hear him uh, join in praise of the, uh, of the vaccine uh, rollout, which is in, in, indeed, I think, a tribute to the NHS uh, staff and uh, the Army, uh, the volunteers and many, many others. Uh, and uh, on his uh, point about the uh, extension of business rate, business rate relief, uh, he knows that this government is committed to supporting businesses and people and uh, livelihoods uh, throughout the pandemic. That is what we will continue to do, but he should wait uh, until the budget uh, for the Chancellor uh, to uh, explain exactly what we're going to do. Uh, Mr Speaker, I think that answer was that the Prime Minister can't give an answer yet. But hundreds of thousands of businesses are affected by this. And the trouble is, Mr Speaker, that businesses don't work as slowly as the Prime Minister. They need an answer now. As the British Chamber of Commerce says, businesses simply can't wait until the March budget. Let me try another vitally important question for businesses and for millions of working people. Can the Prime Minister confirm today that the furlough scheme will be extended beyond April? Mr Speaker, I think most people in this country are aware that we're going through a very serious uh, pandemic in which rates of infection have been steadily brought down thanks to the efforts of the rich people. I think also members of this House are familiar uh, with the notion that in just a few days we will be setting out a roadmap for the way out of this uh, pandemic, a roadmap that I hope uh, the right honourable gentleman and his colleagues uh, will support, though the support, as we know, is, tends to be a transitory thing, uh, Mr Speaker. One week we have it, the next week uh, we don't. Uh, but he won't have to contain himself for very long. Mr Speaker, let me let the Prime Minister into a secret. He can take decisions for himself yeah. and he doesn't need to leave everything to the 11th minute. Yeah. If I were Prime Minister, I'd say to businesses, we'll support you now, we'll protect jobs now. Yeah. Because the CBI, the Federation of Small Businesses, the Institute of Directors and the British Chamber of Commerce have all said the same thing. They all say, Prime Minister, they can't wait until the budget. Yeah. The Prime Minister may disagree with me but he's actually disagreeing with businesses. Why does the Prime Minister think he knows better than British business? Yeah. 
Mr. Speaker, I think that uh, most uh, business people that I've talked to, I've talked to a great many uh, in the last uh, 12 months, would agree that there is no government around the world that has done more to support business, wrapping our arms uh, around business. And actually, I, I'm delighted to hear this enthusiasm uh, for business from the, uh, from the Labour Party uh, when they stood on a manifesto to destroy uh, capitalism at uh, the last election and indeed to dismantle the very pharmaceutical industry, uh, Mr. Speaker, that has provided uh, the vaccines on which we now rely. Will he now repudiate that policy, Mr. Speaker? Mr Speaker, we all know what the Prime Minister once said he wanted to do to business. We on these benches would rather listen to businesses. So, so we've no decision on business rates, no decision on furlough. Let's try another crucial issue. And, and Prime Minister, no, no excuse for delaying this time, because this has to be decided before the March budget, and the Prime Minister doesn't need to check with the Chancellor. So will the Prime Minister now commit to extending the evictions ban on residential properties beyond February the 21st. Mr Speaker, I've said repeatedly that what we will do uh, in this government and throughout this pandemic is put our arms around the British people, support them throughout the pandemic and make sure that people are not unfairly evicted during the pandemic. That is what we will, uh, we will do. Uh, I, what I hope very much, Mr Speaker, is that we may hear from the right honourable gentleman opposite that he not only has now uh, had a, a Damascene uh, conversion uh, to the importance of, of business, uh, but a Damascene conversion uh, to supporting all the government's policies uh, to support business, rather than sniping from the sidelines, why doesn't he just get behind us and back the government, back us in our efforts to back business and back the British people? Mr Speaker, I'm not going to take lectures from a man who wrote two versions of every column he ever wrote as a journalist, who proposed Donald Trump for a Nobel Peace Prize and gave Dominic Cummings a pay rise. Back to the question. Another area where the Prime Minister repeatedly delayed and now changes policy pretty well every day, is securing our borders against variants of COVID. Every week the Prime Minister comes here and says we've got one of the toughest regimes in the world. We know his Home Secretary disagrees with him. We know the Health Secretary disagrees with him. Luckily, Mr Speaker, Oxford University keep track of how tough border restrictions are in every country. They say that there are at least 33 countries around the world which currently have tougher restrictions for the United Kingdom. 33, Prime Minister, including Canada, Denmark, Japan, Israel. There are many others. In fact, they say we're not even in the top bracket of countries for border restrictions. 50 days after we first discovered the South African variant, 50 days. How does the Prime Minister explain that? Mr Speaker, there is... Thank you. Some countries in, in Europe that do not even have a hotel quarantine uh, scheme such as the one we're putting in on Monday. We have amongst the toughest border regimes anywhere in the world. And people should understand that on a normal day, Mr Speaker, uh, at, at this time of year, you could expect about 250,000 people uh, to be arriving in this country. We've got it down to about 20,000, um, uh, 5,000 of them whom are involved in bringing vital things into this country, such as medicines and, uh, and food, as we discussed last week, and he agreed that was a, a, a good idea, Mr Speaker. Uh, unless he actually wants to cut this country off from the rest of the world, which I think last week he said he didn't want to do, unless, of course, he's changed uh, his mind again, Mr Speaker. We ha I think that this uh, policy is measured, it is proportionate, it is getting tougher from Monday. I hope uh, that he supports it. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Mr Speaker, the truth is this. The Prime Minister is failing to give security to British businesses and he's failing to secure our borders. The Prime Minister often complains that we never put forward constructive proposals. So here's two for him. Support businesses and protect jobs now by extending furlough, business rate relief and VAT cuts for hospitality. And second, secure our borders with a comprehensive hotel quarantine on arrival. No more delays. Would he do it? <laughs> Mr Speaker, we've just announced uh, the, uh, the quarantine policy, which, as I've said to the House, uh, is amongst the, the toughest in the, in the world uh, and, and, and tougher than, than m most other European countries, certainly. I'm delighted that he's now supporting business in his latest stunt of bandwagoneering, uh, not, a, not a policy for which he was, uh, he was famous uh, before, Mr Speaker. Uh, but he, you know, he moves from one side of the other in the debate uh, throughout this crisis. And uh, some people, Mr Speaker, on, uh, some people have said that this is a good crisis, Mr Speaker. Some people have said this is a good crisis. Some people have said, some people have said uh, that this crisis is a gift that keeps on giving, Mr Crisis. Uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, uh, Mr. Speaker, those people sit on the Labour front bench. I think it is disgraceful that they should say those things. I believe this is one of the biggest challenges this country has faced since the Second World War. And thanks to one of the fastest vaccine rollouts anywhere in the world, I believe it is a challenge this country can meet and is meeting. And I believe that of that vaccine rollout programme, this House and this country should be very proud. Yeah. 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 Speaker, can I thank the Prime Minister for the decisions he took last year that have meant that the vaccine pro programme is in such a good uh, position uh, this week? Despite that success, um, it is vital that that programme keeps pace with uh, the changing variants. Can he um, update the House on where the UK stands on ensuring that the UK supply chain is in place and that we don't get behind uh, as the virus mutates? My right honourable friend asked an extremely important uh, question, and that's why we recently announced an agreement for 50 million uh, doses with the manufacturer CureVac, uh, because uh, we believe that that may help us uh, to develop uh, vaccines uh, that can respond at scale. Uh, to new variants of the, of, of the virus. And as the House will have heard uh, from, uh, from uh, the Chief Medical Officer and the Deputy Chief Medical Officer and others, uh, we, I think we're going to have to get used uh, to the idea of uh, vaccinating and then re-vaccinating uh, in the autumn as we, as we come to face uh, these new variants. Let's head up to Sky and Lockhaber with SNP leader Ian Blackford. Ian Blackford. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. New research from the Joseph Rowntree Foundation and the Baby Bank charity Little Village has revealed that 1.3 million children under five are living in poverty in the United Kingdom. This is a truly shocking figure that should make this Tory government utterly ashamed. The Scottish National Party has repeatedly called for a financial package to boost household incomes and reverse this Tory child poverty crisis. The Prime Minister has the power to tackle child poverty right now by making the £20 uplift to universal credit permanent and by extending it to legacy benefits. The Tory government's been stalling on this for months. Will the Prime Minister finally act or will he leave mil millions of children out in the cold? Minister. Mr Speaker, I think that the 
uh, whole house in this country should be proud of the way we've tried to look after people, the poorest and neediest families throughout uh, the country, uh, not just uh, with uh, universal credit, which uh, the party opposite would actually abolish, uh, Mr Speaker, but by helping uh, vulnerable people with their food and their, uh, their, their heating bills, the £170 million uh, winter grant scheme, looking after people uh, with the, the free school meal vouchers. And as I've said before, Mr Speaker, we will put our arms around the people of this entire country uh, throughout the pandemic. Let's return to Scotland with Ian Blackford. Ian Blackford. I have to say, Mr Speaker, that was pathetic. That was no answer. We're talking about 1.3 million children under five in poverty. Let me quote. She cried on her doorstep because I gave her nappies, wipes and winter clothes for her child. I went away with a lump in my throat. These are the words of Emily, a baby bank worker who's supporting families that the Tories have pushed into poverty through a decade of cuts. They don't need more empty words from a Prime Minister who simply doesn't care enough to act. Mr Speaker, this morning a new report from Citizen Advice Scotland warned that Tory cuts could reduce the value of universal credit by as much as a quarter just when people need this money the most. Well, the Prime Minister agreed to meet with me and other opposition parties ahead of the budget for an urgent summit on tackling child poverty, or will he be yet another Tory Prime Minister who leaves a generation of children languishing in poverty. Uh, Mr Speaker, I must say that I, uh, I reject entirely what the Right Honourable Denton has just said, because I don't believe that any government could have done more uh, to help the people of this country throughout this pandemic, and we will continue to do so. And, and yes, uh, of course, uh, we, we bitterly, we bitterly, uh, lament and reject uh, the poverty that some families unquestionably suffer. And it is, uh, and it is tragic that too many families have had a very, very tough time during this pandemic. But we will continue uh, to support them in all the ways uh, that we have, uh, we have set up. And I may say to the, to the right honourable gentleman, there is, a, there is a profound philosophical difference between him and, uh, him and me. Uh, because uh, the Scottish Nationalist Party is uh, uh, morphing into ever more a left-wing uh, party uh, that believes that believes fundamentally. Oh, there you go. Oh, there you go, uh, Mr. Speaker. That believes fundamentally that it is the duty of the taxpayer uh, to pay for more and more and more. We want to get people into jobs, Mr. Speaker, and it's getting pe- and it's on that. It's on that, uh, and it is in that respect that the Scottish Nationalist Party is, I'm afraid, uh, failing their... Well, well, Prime Minister, Prime Minister, we both know that you're only teasing him and we're trying to wind up the leader of the SNP. Please, let's drop it. Let's move on, because Lee Anderson is waiting for you. Lee Anderson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. A new free port for the East Midlands will create over 60,000 new jobs and provide a massive boost for employers such as Corton Engineering and Abacus in Ashfield. After decades of neglect from Labour MPs, we now feel a sense of hope in the red wall seats. My mum and dad voted Conservative for the first time at the last general election and were touched when the Prime Minister acknowledged their votes were lent. Could my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, please reassure my mum and dad, my friend, my family and all my constituents that our area will never be let down again. Prime Minister. Absolutely, Mr Speaker, and I thank my honourable friend for everything he's doing for Ashfield, and uh, he and I have uh, had enjoyable times campaigning for the people of Ashfield, and we'll continue uh, to do so. And I can tell uh, Paul and Jenny uh, that our commitment to, to levelling up is absolutely rock-solid throughout this country. Yeah. I said to Murray on it with Liz Savile-Roberts. Liz Savile-Roberts. I've just heard the government claims to have a levelling-up agenda. 
underpinned by a research and development roadmap. The trouble is, the Tories' track record on this isn't good. In fact, it's abysmal. Wales receives the lowest R&D spend per person of the four nations at around 40% of spend per head in England. And Westminster's obsession with the golden triangle of Oxford, Cambridge and London shows no sign of abating. Will he now commit to a fairer devolved R&D funding settlement to the Senedd? Or is he content for Westminster's roadmap to be Wales's road to nowhere? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I'm afraid I think she's doing uh, Wales down and the people of Wales down and the ingenuity uh, of Wales down because I think about a, a quarter of the airline passengers in the world are borne aloft on, on wings made by the Welsh aerospace uh, sector, Mr Speaker. A bridge end uh, is going to be one of the great centres of battery manufacturing in this country, if not the world. Wales is at the cutting edge of technology under this government's plans for a record spending on, uh, on R&D, £22 billion by the end of this Parliament, Wales, along with the whole of the rest of the UK, will benefit massively. I said to Cheshire with Dr Kira Mullen. Dr Kira Mullen. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The UK has fallen behind Europe in untapping the potential of geothermal heat and energy in places like Crewe. Will the Prime Minister meet with me to discuss how we can ensure geothermal helps us build back better with a revitalised package of incentives for industry? I thank my honourable friend for the excellent point he makes about crew and the, the way it's now in the forefront of, uh, of, of deep geothermal uh, energy uh, exploration and uh, very happy to, to meet with him to discuss what we can do to further geothermal energy uh, in crew, Dari permitting, Mr Speaker. Let's wander up to Bolton with Yasmin Qureshi. Yasmin. Mr Speaker, this government said that no council would be suffering as a result of the pandemic. And the Chancellor said that he would do everything, whatever it takes, to help them. Yet the Tory-controlled Bolton Council has just announced 35 million cuts in pounds and an increase in the council tax budget for 3.8%. Can the Prime Minister assure my constituents and my town that that money will be given to them or will this join a long list of Tory failed promises? Minister? Uh, I want to congratulate Mr Speaker, the great Conservative controlled Council of Bolton, uh, for everything they're doing uh, and continue to do throughout this pandemic to look after the people of, of Bolton. I, I know uh, what incredible work local officials do, and I, I thank them very much for it. And, that, and we believe, since we believe so strongly in local government, Mr Speaker, as a creature of local government uh, myself, I'm proud that we are, we've invested £4.6 billion uh, in supporting local government uh, just so far in this pandemic. Mr Speaker, from rainforests to coral reefs, the world's ecosystems are at risk of catastrophic decline. That was the conclusion of the Dasgupta Review last week, which my right honourable friend rightly welcomed. This threat to our biodiversity is not just a moral failure, it is economically short-sighted too. When I asked Professor Dasgupta to carry out this work, he told me that it would not be complete until after the UK had hosted the COP26 summit. But now given that the summit has been delayed until later this year, and that it will take place alongside our presidency of the G7, does my right honourable friend agree with me that the UK has been presented with a unique opportunity 
to show global leadership on how we can better protect our most precious asset, nature. My, my right honourable friend is absolutely right. I, I thank him for what he's doing himself in, the, in this area, and I, I want uh, the, the House to know that we, we want uh, our COP, the UN COP26 summit, uh, to be a landmark event, not just for tackling climate change, but also in, in biodiversity. And I think it's high time that the leaders of the world uh, took a step uh, to reverse uh, the loss of habitats and species uh, that we've seen over the last century. Let's head up to Oxfordshire with Leila Moran. Leila Moran. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. It's estimated that up to 400,000 people are living with the debilitating effects of long COVID, and some of these are NHS heroes who caught COVID in that first wave. Nearly a year later, I've heard from a doctor who says she wonders if she'll ever be able to walk unaided again, let alone manage a full day of work. Does the Prime Minister recognise that for this group, long COVID is an occupational disease? And will he set up a compensation scheme similar to what we offer our armed forces so that we ensure that those who have lost their livelihoods by saving lives are fully supported. Thank the, the, the Honourable Lady, because she's right to uh, highlight the uh, incredible sacrifice and effort of uh, NHS staff, many of whom uh, sadly have contracted COVID in the course of their, of their duties, and, uh, and a great many of whom uh, have sadly continued to be affected uh, by that disease. We must study the long-term uh, effects uh, of COVID and make sure that we continue uh, to look after our wonderful NHS staff throughout their careers. To Yorkshire with Julian Sturdy. Julian Sturdy. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can the Prime Minister confirm today that all students will be back in school no later than the 8th of March and commit to starting any phased return straight after half term so that the really damaging effects of being away from school are, no, are not drawn out for any longer than is absolutely necessary? Mr Speaker, I can certainly confirm that uh, we're going to do everything we can, and I know that that's the, uh, the, the settled uh, will of most people in this, uh, in this House to get uh, our, our, our kids, get uh, school children back uh, uh, on March the 8th, if we possibly can. I'll be setting out for my honourable friend uh, as much as we can say in, uh, on Monday, and then uh, in, the, in, the, in the week of the 22nd, uh, we'll be setting out a roadmap uh, and, uh, and setting out the way forward for schools. But uh, we've got to make sure we keep this virus under control, Mr Speaker. It is coming down, uh, but, uh, but we, we cannot take our foot uh, off, the, uh, off its throat. Let's head up to the North East with Ian Mearns. Ian Mearns. Very grateful, Mr Speaker. Having sat on the HS2 Hybrid Bill Committee for 15 months, I was a sceptic as to the economic benefits of the project for the North East. But HS2 is going ahead, at least in the South. It's therefore crucial that the eastern leg of HS2 goes ahead, not just for Yorkshire and the East Midlands, but also for the North East. The Prime Minister has made repeated promises to the people of the North East of his intention to level up and to connect and create opportunities for people here in places like Gateshead. So as we strive to recover from the damage done to so many families and businesses by the pandemic, will the Prime Minister commit to beginning the work on the eastern leg of HS2, starting in the North East, to run simultaneously with the construction in the South, so that our region is not forced to wait another couple of decades for 21st century rail connectivity. Prime Minister. 
Mr Speaker, I can certainly confirm that we are going to develop the uh, eastern leg as well as the, the whole of HS2, and uh, he'll be hearing a lot more about uh, what we're going to do with our, uh, our national infrastructure revolution, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, and uh, about what we're going to do uh, to uh, improve uh, trans- not just road, uh, rail transport, but road transport as well in the North East. Let's head south to Caroline Nance, lose audio earlier. Caroline Nance. Thank you, Mr Speaker. There is no shortage of commitment or compassion in my town of Eastbourne for homeless people who are vulnerable and need complex support. However, neighbouring Brighton continues to send its homeless to our town, and we do not have the resources to meet this need. Three homeless people have died, and I believe there will be inquests. Brighton is not engaging with Eastbourne's council in any meaningful way, and a further 51 placements have been made in recent weeks. Will my right honourable friend join with me in urging immediate engagement from Brighton and Hove council leaders on this as a matter of urgency? Yes, indeed, Mr. Speaker, uh, and I thank uh, a Brighton Council and, uh, and, and East uh, co- for cooperating uh, with, uh, uh, with with Eastbourne uh, Council in, ge- in getting this done. There must be uh, cooperation. Uh, no one in this country should be living rough or sleeping or homeless as, as sleeping rough or being or homeless as a result of this pandemic, or indeed through any other cause, Mr. Speaker. We've invested 700 million this year uh, to help people off the streets. Uh, it continues to be a national uh, priority. And I'm grateful to my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Communities and Local Government, uh, for what he's doing and the the various task forces that are currently at work to prevent uh, people coming out on the streets again as we we lift the restrictions. Let's head to South Wales with Garant Davis. Garant. Mr Speaker, at DVLA in Swansea, there had been 526 cases of coronavirus since last September. Uh, when the Prime Minister told us at Prime Minister's Question Time, all staff who can work from home are working from home. Yet in March last year, 250 people were working on site. Now the numbers are in their thousands, facing a more infectious and widespread disease. And yesterday, 90 people were sent home following the latest outbreak of coronavirus just before the weekend. So given that BT are on standby to install home secure technology to allow home working, will the Prime Minister meet with me and the union PCS ahead of the strike ballot next week uh, so that workplace numbers can be reduced until the vaccine is rolled out uh, to keep people safe and to avoid an unnecessary strike? Mr. Speaker, I, I thank him for, for raising this again uh, with me, and uh, thanks to the, uh, the working from home strategy that, that DVLA has been pursuing uh, of, a, of a workforce of 6,000. There are currently only, thankfully, there are only uh, nine cases, to the best of my knowledge, uh, of, uh, of COVID, uh, and three of those individuals are currently working from home. We're, we're rolling out lateral flow tests, a, a huge number of lateral flow tests uh, are being distributed to the to the DVLA, but the, uh, the, the long-term solution, uh, Mr. Speaker, or the medium-term solution, I should say, is to is to vaccinate and to roll out the vaccination programme, and that is what uh, this government is doing in Wales and across the country. I said to the West Midlands with Nitla Richards, Nitla. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Families across West Bromwich East have been affected by cancer, just like my own. 
and know all too well that early diagnosis and treatment can save a life. According to research by Macmillan Cancer Support, there were over 70 people in my constituency and 50,000 across the UK with a missing cancer diagnosis. Cancer hasn't stopped during the pandemic. So with this in mind, will the Prime Minister commit to making the resurgence of cancer diagnosis services a top priority as restrictions begin to ease? Minister. I thank my, uh, my honourable friend, and I know that this is an issue that is, uh, that is very close to, uh, to her heart, and she's right uh, to, to raise it because, we, of course, there are the pressures from COVID, but we're also worried, Mr Speaker, that some people may not be coming forward uh, for the cancer treatments uh, that they need. So I urge everybody uh, who, who needs to get their treatment uh, to help uh, the NHS to help you uh, come forward and, and get your treatment as you normally would. To the northwest with Lucy Powell. Lucy. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister said in November that the £1.5 billion Green Homes grant would be extended to March 2022. Yet, in a written answer last week, his minister said that the money would not be carried over from this financial year to next. With just seven weeks to go, a paltry £71 million has been spent so far. So why is he cutting £1 billion from the Green Homes Grant that he promised for businesses, homeowners and the environment? She's, she's, she's on to something, but she's barking up the wrong tree, Mr Speaker. Uh, the, 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 the problem uh, with the Green Homes uh, Grant uh, is, is, is not that we're not cutting it. The problem is there hasn't been enough take-up, and we want to, we want to encourage people uh, to take it up and, and make use uh, of the opportunity uh, to reduce the carbon emission uh, of your homes. I said so to Sir Roger Gale. Sir Roger. The Prime Minister has said and he's written in his forward to the Environment White Paper, that he's pledged to protect the countryside. Mr. Speaker, the countryside is more than just a bit of green belt around the home counties. In Westgate and Birchington and Hearn Bay, in my own constituency, and indeed across much of the Garden of England, there are plans to smother acres of prime agricultural land in housing that is not needed for local people but that is needed and required to grow the crops to reduce the amount of food that we import at a cost of carbon emissions. So if the Prime Minister is the friend of the countryside, will he announce an immediate moratorium on the use of all farmland for housing while the whole policy is reviewed? Stuff. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I, I, I think I just heard uh, the honourable gentleman say that he wants an, an immediate moratorium on, all, on the construction of, uh, of, all, of all housing. Uh, but maybe I, 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 mis, I misunderstood. I don't think that to be uh, realistic. But what I can certainly tell him is that uh, it, we will take very seriously the points he makes. I know that my right honourable friend, uh, the Secretary of State for Communities and Local Government, uh, has met him and will be glad to, to meet him again to discuss the, the subject he raises. But this government's commitment to, to nature and to the countryside is unmatched. We've just consecrated 30% of our land surface, Mr Speaker, to nature. Said up to Audrey with Neil Gray. Neil Gray. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I had a meeting recently with the PCS about public sector pay and heard from constituents in Shots and Calder Bank who work for UK government departments. Both are struggling to cover uh, over a, a real terms pay cut over decades. One has had to take partial early retirement so the lump sum could keep him going. What will the Prime Minister say to the Chancellor? 
to convince him of the need to properly reward all those who have been on the front line during the COVID pandemic and at the very least follow the Scottish Government's lead in fully funding a rise in public sector pay. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, we have seen above inflation increases in, uh, in public sector pay, and that is, and that is quite right. And we support, uh, we support uh, particularly increases in uh, investment in our, in our NHS, and you'll know the package that we put in place uh, for nurses. But the single best thing uh, that we can do is support the living wage, which this government introduced, and which we have now, which this government introduced, and which we have now uh, increased by record amounts two years uh, in a row. And I see the Scottish Nationalist Party, forgive me, uh, Mr. Speaker, the National. I'm not, I don't know whether they're nationalists or not. Perhaps they could clear it up. Whether they think, whether they, they, maybe, are, are they did so earlier for you. Are they a national party without being nationalists? It's an interesting semantic point, Mr. Speaker. Uh, but uh, they, I, I think they're trying to claim that they pioneered the, uh, the living wage. I don't think that's right, Mr. Speaker. I, I seem to remember that it was a certain uh, mayoralty in London uh, that massively increased the living wage when they weren't off the starting blocks, Mr. Speaker. In which case, let's go down to Somerset, who is ready on the starting blocks with Ian Little Granger. Mr. Speaker, thank you as always. I am delighted my vulnerable friend is defending democracy by pushing ahead with local elections. But here in the land of King Alfred, the people desperately want to give their verdict on Somerset County Council, which I'm afraid has been using COVID money to spend on things that have nothing to do with the pandemic. They have submitted to the government a form which says nothing. And I fear that my right honourable friend has been misled. We need a referendum down here to test public opinion quickly. But would my right honourable friend, a proud man of Somerset, who understands history more than most of us, not agree the time has come to put our county back together and that we have the whole of Somerset being looked after by Somerset? I know King Arthur would approve of it, and I know the people of Somerset will certainly support the Prime Minister if he supports us. Prime Minister. <laughs> Mr Speaker, I... I, I, I... Thank my right honourable friend, who is a great advocate of Somerset and committed to his uh, constituents. Uh, and I, I thank him for what he's, he's doing. Uh, he's, he's raised this now twice with, with me, uh, and I thank him for that. But uh, my, my, my humbly suggest that the, the best way forward is for the consultation to uh, proceed and for uh, local people to, to decide uh, what the best form uh, of government, local government, uh, that, is that they, uh, that they want. Let's head for our final question from Northern Ireland with Gregory Campbell. Gregory Campbell. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister, you're aware now of the problems we warned about over many months before the Northern Ireland Protocol was introduced. These problems are scheduled to get worse from April. Can you outline a timeline where people in Northern Ireland, and indeed all across the UK, as indicated in the Parliament petition last week, when all of us can enjoy free trade across the nation, including from GB to NI, as every other independent trading nation enjoys. Uh, yes, indeed, Mr. Speaker, and uh, it, I've made it absolutely clear to our uh, uh, EU friends and, and partners that uh, we want to make uh, our relationship work, but it is also absolutely essential. 
uh, that uh, there should be untrammeled free trade, exchange of goods, people, services and capital uh, through all parts of the UK and uh, we will do everything we can to ensure that that is the case, including, uh, as I've, as I've uh, said in, in the Chamber before and uh, to his honourable uh, colleagues, uh, including invoke, invoking Article 16 of the Protocol if that is necessary. I'm suspending the House for three minutes to enable the necessary arrangements for the next business to be made. Order.